I just want to pray for us this morning as we get ready to study scripture and, and pray a blessing over you as we end this year and get ready for a new year. So let's pray together and we're going to study Hebrews 12. Father, thank you for this church family. Thank you for the friends and family who are together here this morning. God, I love these people. I, I love this church family. I, I'm so thankful for your kindness and grace toward us, um, what it means to love you and love one another. And so as we wrap up this year, as we look to the Bible, as we look to you to speak to us this morning through Hebrews chapter 12, God, guard our hearts against any sense that we're just going through the motions or we're just checking off a box. God, we want to be engaged this morning. We want our hearts and minds to be open to how you want to speak to us through your word. God, we come off a year that had a lot of good things, but also for a lot of people, some really hard things this past year. And even though it's just a new day on the calendar, we know there's a, a sense of turning a new page tomorrow with a new year, and we want to be prepared for that spiritually. And so I pray that you would do that work in our hearts this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Hebrews chapter 12. Let's get right into verse 1. We looked at these verses on Christmas Eve, but let's start with verses 1 and 2 again. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Last Sunday on Christmas Eve, the encouragement was to run, and some of you did. Some of you went home and you literally ran on Christmas Eve or you ran this last week. Some of you have made a new commitment that tomorrow, New Year's Day, you're going to start running. More power to you. That's not my New Year's resolution, but if that's your resolution, go for it. Uh, you're going to start running. This idea of running in the Bible, though, is about drawing near to God, that we are going to draw near to God, that we are going to run the race, the life that he has set out in front of us. We're going to live life to its fullest following the way of Jesus, a way that allows us to run to eternity, to eternal life with him. So when you hear run, it's the race of life that is set out in front of you that you want to live to its fullest. You want to live following the way of Jesus. And there's a hope inside of every one of us that when we think about this next year, 2024, we want to run better than we ever have before. We want to run a race that brings glory to God, that's good for others, that brings joy to our lives. We want to run this race that's set in front of us this next year. Now, I've told you this story before, but my wife is back in nursery preschool care this morning, which also means I have to be finished on time. Like, this is the Sunday I can absolutely not go on uh, with, with my wife working back in uh, preschool and, and nursery care. But when I was going through the Ph.D. program and we were living in New Orleans, I had a really bad habit of every semester telling her, babe, don't worry, this semester is going to be easier. I'm going to have more time with the family. It's going to be way easier. Don't worry. Narrator. It was not easier every semester, okay? Like, and, and we have this tendency in life. We have this tendency in life to think that maybe all the hardest parts of life were behind us. And man, this next year, this next year is going to be easier. Like this next year is going to be better and smoother. And friends, oftentimes that's not the case. But what we're going to find this morning is God works through those experiences. The race that's in front of you this year, it may be hard in a lot of ways, but he is going to work in your lives in powerful ways this coming year. 
Here's what we can't do, though. We have to agree that we need to lay aside those weights because we can't take into the future everything we are right now. There's a future out there. There's a race in front of you that God is calling you to run. There's a race in front of you that God is calling you to run, and there are things that are in our lives right now that we have to lay aside. These weights and these sins that we have to lay aside, we can't take into the future everything that we are, everything that we're doing right now. Now, what does that look like? Verse 2, how do we deal with that? Look at what verse 2 says. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We're not going to look in the past. We're not going to look back. We're going to look to Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When you hear look to Jesus, we think about looking to his victory, looking to his miracles, looking to his love. But there's another thing that the preacher wants you to think about in verse 3. Look at verse 3. What does it mean that we look to Jesus? What are we supposed to think about? Verse 3. Consider him, consider Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Okay, here's the idea. Let me make sure we're all on the same page before we start moving ahead into the note sheet you have with you. Here's the idea. There is a race in front of you, a spiritual race that God is calling you to run. It's set out before you to follow the way of Jesus. That race that you've been called to run is not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. How do we know that? We look at the race that Jesus ran. And the race that Jesus ran, he faced hostility, he faced difficulty, he faced temptation. All of those things that Jesus dealt with in his life, the race that he was called to run, you're going to deal with as well. And so the author is preparing you for that. Why? Look at the end of verse 3. Why does he want you to know this? So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Ooh, that's a tough one right there. Weary or faint-hearted. Now, what do those words mean? How do we think about that? Is there a difference between those words? Maybe a slight difference between the words. The word weary tends to deal with physical tiredness, and the word faint-hearted tends to deal with more emotional tiredness or discouragement. So on your note sheet in front of you, if you have a note sheet with you, you can do this. If, you, if you're just taking notes yourself, you can take your notes however you want to. Rate yourself 1 through 10 on a scale of being weary and faint-hearted. So number one would be, I could go run a marathon this afternoon. Like, I feel great. I don't have any weariness. I don't have any discouragement. Life's amazing. 10 would be, I probably need to go hide in a hole. Like, <laughs> I'm exhausted. I really honestly don't know how I'm going to make it through another day. I'm discouraged. I, I just don't know what I'm going to do. So one is feeling lighthearted. Things are good. Things feel easy right now. Ten would be I am weary and faint-hearted. How would you rate yourself right now when you end 2023? Think it through. What, is that, what does that look like in your life? Weary and faint-hearted. I'm not sure that that's necessarily a number you want to share with your neighbor, you could. You could show your paper to your, to your neighbor if you wanted to get an idea. Here's the, here's the reality. Unless you're really good at faking, 
most people understand what number you have right now. Like we live in a world where we're taught to hide these things, but in reality, a lot of people are weary and faint-hearted. Think about that verse in Matthew chapter 11 where Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. That good gift that Jesus gives of rest. Look at verse 4. What kind of weariness are we talking about here? Verse 4. The pastor says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Okay, so the, the congregation that, that this author is writing to, that he's preaching to, this congregation has been through some really difficult things. But it hasn't led to the point of shedding blood. It hasn't led to, to martyrdom or death, but they've been through hard things. That word struggle is the word in the ancient world for a boxing match. So remember, he's just used the sports imagery the author of the book of Hebrews must have loved sports because he just talked about running a race, running a marathon, and then he goes from marathon to boxing. So if you can imagine running a marathon and at the end of the marathon there's a boxing match <laughs> at the end. Or if you have anybody in your life that loves boxing but is not interested in the Bible or interested in faith, you can actually tell them that boxing is mentioned in the Bible. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4, that they are in this boxing match what are they boxing against? What are they struggling against? Well, they're struggling against a lot of different things. When you think about what makes someone feel weary and faint-hearted, opposition from really difficult people makes us feel weary and faint-hearted. People who are opposed to your faith, people who are opposed to your way of life, people who, frankly, are just difficult to deal with. Uh, we always talk to our kids about, you want to have people around you who are life-giving, not life-taking. Uh, some people, you spend time around them, and they just pour life into you. You feel energized. You feel excited. You feel peaceful and joyful. Some people, you spend time around them, and you just feel weary. <laughs> You're like, that sucked a lot out of me. You can't say that to the other person. Generally, it's kind of rude to say that, but you just get that, that feeling. Opposition from people makes us feel weary and faint-hearted. Struggling against sin, just the daily battles against those temptations and habits that come into our life, those things that try to weigh us down, the, the weariness of trying to battle against the ways of the world, everything out there that looks so pleasurable and enticing, but you know is not the way of the Lord, and you're fighting against that. And after a while, we get tired of that fight. This is the reason that late at night, people are so prone to temptation. Because your body is physically tired, you're emotionally discouraged, you're beat down by the day, and so we find ourselves more open to these temptations just because of the weariness and discouragement that comes from it. Sometimes it's difficulties in life. Sometimes it's just those hard experiences that come, and it feels like when it rains, it pours. You know those times in life that if you were dealing with one hard thing, you're like, I would be okay today if it was just one hard thing, except it's 20. It's like one hard thing happens, and then another hard thing happens, and another hard thing happens, and before you know it, you just feel weary and faint-hearted. So here's the chance. On your paper, on your notes in front of you, write this down. Maybe jot down some notes. In 2023, what made me feel weary and discouraged? When you look back over this last year, opposition from people, just difficulties with people, 
battles against sin that you faced this last year, really, really hard life circumstances that obviously you didn't sign up for, you didn't expect, you didn't want, but those things that come into your life that are just so hard, the struggles, you feel like you're in a boxing match. What were those things this last year that made you feel tired and discouraged? And you say, there better be good news past this. Don't worry, there is. We'll get to the good news. We, just, we need to feel the weight of, of this right here. Okay, what do we do with that? Look at verse 5. What do you do with that? Verse 5. He says, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Okay, what's going on here? In this situation, these people are feel, feeling tired and discouraged. And when we feel tired and discouraged, our mind has a way of only focusing on the negative things and we forget the good things that have come into our lives. You, get, you know how this works, right? In life, when hard things are happening, they just tend to take up all of your brain power and you forget the good things, the positive things, the things that have happened that have come in. And he says, have you forgotten the encouragement, the exhortation that's been given to you as sons? This word for exhortation is the word for encouragement that encompasses the entire book of Hebrews. That The book of Hebrews is a word of exhortation. It's a word of encouragement. It's a word, and I know we've kind of said this over and over and over again at Emmaus, but if you've not been around, I want you to know this imagery. The word encouragement or exhortation in the Bible is a word that means both comfort and challenge. The way you remember the word encouragement in the Bible is it means arm around the shoulder or hand in the back. Sometimes in life, you just need somebody to comfort you. When you are tired and discouraged, you need somebody to come along and say, I love you, I care for you, and I will be right here with you. Sometimes when you're tired and discouraged, you need a good friend to come along and say, hey, keep going. We are not going to sit down in this mess. You're not going to allow this opposition or this difficulty to stop this race that God has for you in, the, in front of you. Keep going. Like, we have to keep going in life. And a good friend will put their arm around your shoulder, and a good friend will push you in the back and say, we're going to keep going. We're going to continue to follow Jesus. And the people that this author is preaching to, that he's writing to, they're... they're uh, on the edge of forgetting that. They've lost that. And specifically, what's the exhortation? It addresses you as sons. And I know, like, ladies in the room, you could see that and be like, oh, man, it's another place in the Bible where it seems like it's favoring men and not women. That's not what's going on at all here. There's, there's another piece of the puzzle. This is the moment in this passage that speaks about the gospel, that you are being addressed as children of God and not servants of God. And the point of connection, if you want to make a note off to the side, the point of connection here is Galatians chapter 4. The verses will be up on the screen, but the point of connection here, if, if you're referencing in your Bible, the connection point is Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. When the fullness of time had come, this is kind of the Christmas verse, Christmas passage. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, why did Jesus come? What was the purpose of Jesus coming? To redeem those who were under the law, that's us, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus came as the Son of God 
so we might be adopted as the children of God, so that we would be rescued, that we would be redeemed, that you've been made part of the family of God, that every one of us in here who has trusted in Jesus for salvation, you have experienced adoption. You have been made fully part of the family of God. The next verse right after this, uh, Paul keeps going. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is good news. This is the good news of the gospel, that we have been saved, that we have been redeemed and rescued and made part of the people of God. On your notes, on your handout, there's a little question there that says, Am I a child of God through faith? Do I think of myself as a child or a servant? When you think about your relationship with God, do you consider yourself part of the family of God? Do you consider yourself to have been adopted, to have been rescued, to be made part of God's family, or do you see yourself mainly as just a servant, a slave? The good news of Jesus, the good news of Christmas and Easter is that we are made part of the family of God. And if you have questions about that this morning, if you think, I really don't know what it means to be a part of the family of God, I don't know what you're talking about being saved or adopted or redeemed. I don't know those words. If you're not familiar with that, as soon as we're finished here this morning, the greatest way you could end 2023 is to understand more about your relationship with God. It is the most important thing. The people that you came with this morning, they would love to stay longer so that you could talk about what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be a part of the family of God? There's another question on your note sheet there that says, when I think about this past year, how did God encourage me? What happened in your life this last year that God comforted or challenged you? And in that blank there may be Bible verses that God brought into your life, but there's a good chance that blank on, on the page, how did God encourage me? There's a good chance it's going to be a conversation. Somebody that reached out to you at just the right time, somebody that sent you a text message or a phone call, someone who spoke into your life who said, I care for you, and I know you're going through a lot right now, and I know you're tired, and I know you're discouraged, but I love you, and I care for you, and we're going to keep following Jesus together. What did God use? I hope he used this church family. I hope he used his word. I hope he used your friends and your family members. What did God use to encourage you this year? Now, let's look specifically, middle of verse 5, let's look specifically about this scripture, about this exhortation that's given to the people. It says in the middle of verse 5, this is a quote from the book of Proverbs, verse 3. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline, verse 7, that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons." Whoa, what's going on there in the Bible? What's going on in that passage is the author is saying, the preacher is saying, that when you face difficulty 
and you see God working in your life, it is a sign that you are a part of the family of God. If you weren't truly a child of God, it would be like an illegitimate child. And if you're like, illegitimate child, is that like the bad word that we would think of in English? Absolutely. That's the bad word that we would think of in English. Like that's how this passage is working its way out here. But what it's saying is if you are an illegitimate child, the parents don't care to discipline you. Just kind of just do whatever you want because there's no responsibility. There's nothing to do in the family. You're not really part of the family, so you're not given discipline or instruction or training. You're just a servant pushed to the side. But if you're really a child, then you're going to receive loving discipline because there's responsibilities of being part of this family. This is this idea of divine discipline. What do we learn in the scriptures about divine discipline? discipline. Divine discipline affirms that we are children of God. It affirms our adoption as sons. Divine discipline is to be expected. In other words, we don't go through life as the children of God expecting that every day is going to be easier than the day before. And this is, this is hard because we have this idea that if we run into opposition or we run into challenges in life, something must be going wrong. Something must be off. But over and over and over, Scripture says, don't be surprised when you face trials of many kind. Jesus says specifically, in this world, you will have what? Trouble. You're going to have difficulty. As part of the people of God, we should expect that there's going to be opposition. There's going to be discouragement. There's going to be difficulty that you're going to face. This is to be expected that we'll face these things. Divine discipline is both corrective and instructive. And here's where we have to be very careful. So hear me out what I'm going to say here. Some people have the idea that when something difficult or bad comes into their life, immediately what do they think? I'm being punished for something I did. And this is a very, very, very dangerous theological road to go down. Because if you begin to think every difficult bad thing that comes into your life is a punishment from God, you begin to have this idea of God sitting up in the sky holding what? Lightning bolts. And he's just looking for you to do something wrong so he can throw a lightning bolt. Is that the way a father treats a son whom he loves? Not at all. Now, are there times that we face negative consequences because of dumb things we do in life? You better believe it. Yeah, there are consequences. And does God provide corrective discipline? Yeah, absolutely he does. But overwhelmingly, this passage in your Bible is about instructive discipline. Discipline that builds up. Discipline that's designed to make you stronger. Discipline that a good parent or a coach would give. So what will happen? So it will lead to all of these powerful results. What are the results of discipline? Well, look in your Bible. It'll tell you. What, what happens when we receive God's discipline? Verse 9. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who discipline us. We understand what discipline looks like. And what happened as a result of that discipline? We respected them. And you're like, whoa, time out. I'd like to raise my hand at this point and say, uh, you know, you, depending on your situation, the type of discipline you received may not have led to respect. And this can be a hard passage to read. If you grew up in a situation that was abusive 
And let me be super clear, that's not the situation I grew up in. I, I was absolutely disciplined in a really healthy way by my parents, but, but never in an abusive way. But some people, these are hard verses to read if you did grow up in an abusive situation or had a bad relationship with your earthly father. But what's being said here is if we receive discipline and instruction from our parents, it should build a relationship. It should drive us toward them, not away from them. Good discipline builds relationship and respect. What else happens? Middle of verse 9. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Good discipline allows us to thrive in life. Verse 10. They disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. So we go through difficulties, we face divine discipline for what purpose? So that we would grow spiritually, so that we would be more holy, more like God. Now, let's take a quick uh, step to the side here for just a second and think about how do we connect this idea of divine discipline to human parental discipline? So on your notes, I've got kind of a comparison chart there for you, or it'll be up on the screen. How do we think about human parental discipline? Number one, we aren't God. Parents, <laughs> your kids have a God, and thankfully you are not it, all right? This, this is good news. We've been given a role by God. You have some coaches, some bosses. When it comes to discipline, they act like they're God, but they're not. There is one true God, and we, when we're in a situation that we provide discipline to kids, or we provide discipline to people who are part of our team, that, that we're coaching or leading. There's good discipline to provide, but it comes with humility that says we're not God. Why does this matter? Because God, when he disciplines, he's always holy, and he's always loving, and he's always good. God's character never changes even or especially when he, he disciplines. What happens to us when we discipline? Well, Sometimes when we're disciplined, all the better parts of our character tend to get pushed to the side. Um, all my worst moments as a parent when it comes to discipline were usually related to the fact that I was hungry, or I was tired, or I was more worried about my own reputation or embarrassment than I was than what was actually happening with, with my kid at the moment, or I was frustrated with somebody else or another situation, and that frustration got redirected onto my kids, just all those worst moments that come out in parental discipline. Which does that mean we don't provide discipline as parents? No, absolutely not. Like, we do provide discipline. We're called to do that, but we do that with deep humility that realizes there's a time for corrective discipline, but a lot of the discipline we should be providing is instructive. It builds up our kids. For what purpose? That our motives would matter. That we want to lead our kids to holiness. We want to lead our kids to the Lord not control our kids. They need the Holy Spirit to do that. They need the Holy Spirit to work in their lives, and God uses us to provide discipline, to provide direction that leads them to the Lord. Look at verse 11. Look at verse 11 in your Bible. Verse 11, it says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Think about the great parent comment. This hurts me more than it hurts you. Yeah, who's ever heard that from a parent in the moment of discipline? Like, I know this hurts you. This hurts me. Is that true? I actually don't know even as a parent. But we know for discipline, in the moment, discipline does not feel or seem good, but it leads to good results. 
What's the good result that it leads to? Middle of verse 11. Man, I love this part of the Bible. This is such a beautiful, beautiful part of the Bible. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Get this part of the Bible, because this is so great. You go through opposition and difficulty. You fight against sin. You go through difficult things in life, and God builds you up. He encourages you. He pushes you forward. And what comes as a result of that? Righteousness that leads to a peaceful life that other people are able to benefit from. Man, I want that to be true in my life. Think about this. You are being trained. You are going through difficulties. You are facing opposition. God's working in your life, providing discipline. For what purpose? To lead to righteousness that makes you a peaceful person that other people can benefit from. That is a good goal. That's the kind of life that we want to live. How does God do this? Let's, let's wrap up by doing this. I've got some reflection questions on your, on your notes, and we're going to wrap up with these reflection questions. How does God do this work of discipline? Well, number one, discipline removes excess and sharpens our focus. This is the bottom of that that first page. And this is the time to get your pen out. And I know we're tired, but stay with me just for a few minutes because this is the time that we really need to apply God's word to our life. We really need to think about these things. Discipline, you go to a trainer tomorrow or Tuesday whenever the, the gym reopens. <laughs> you go to a trainer and they say, you're probably going to have to get rid of that like fourth bowl of ice cream every day. And uh, like, you're probably going to have to put the phone down a little bit and, you know, get involved with some more workout. There's some things you need to get rid of in your life to sharpen your focus on what you really want. When God brings discipline into our life, it gets rid of certain things and it focuses us on what really matters. So here's the question. Is there something from my life this past year that needs to be removed? Is there something that's been a part of your life this last year that you think, I cannot take that with me into 2024. I know there's a life in front of me that God has for me. I want to run this race toward him, following the way of Jesus, and I've got to leave that behind. That has to stay in this past year. What burdens are holding me back? What sins are tripping me up? What is it in your life that is keeping you from running the race that God has put in front of you? Just a moment to write, think, reflect. This question will probably have more impact if you share that answer with somebody else. If there's a good friend that you could say, hey, I've got to leave that behind this year. Maybe you share it with your spouse tonight. Maybe you talk about it with a friend this afternoon. If you go to a New Year's Eve party tonight, just think about, like, what am I wanting to leave behind in, in 2023? Second, second point, if you turn your note sheet over, take you to the top. Discipline changes our perspective on life. Discipline says, hey, that pain you're feeling in the workout, it actually is going to have really great results even though you don't feel it right now. That difficulty you're going through right now, I know it hurts, but you're going to be able to comfort somebody else down the road in a way you never would have otherwise had you not gone through that situation. That situation is changing. You need a new perspective on what you're dealing with. So here's the question. Are there elements of grief or loss 
that I haven't worked through from this past year. It's amazing how we carry grief and loss with us in a way that God wants to use to build us up, but man, it's hard to get past those emotions. It's hard to get past those pains. What have you lost this past year? Maybe this is a hard question to ask, but who have you lost in your life this past year? Might have been to a broken relationship, might have been to physical death, but there's grief or loss that we have to work through because if we don't work through those challenges, we're never going to be able to move forward in life. Unmet expectations and plans. <laughs> God changes our perspective on situations. Friends, you know this. I know this is a cheesy preacher thing to say, but I want to say it. Some of God's greatest gifts in our life are interruptions or unexpected events that come into our lives. And we see them as interruptions. We see them as things that we didn't see coming. They weren't part of our plans. And God does some of his best work in those moments. Something I've been doing that I've found really helpful in my life is when something comes into my life that I didn't expect, my plans get interrupted, something happens, learning to ask the question, what does this make possible? What does this make possible? So you're going through life, hard situation comes, something happens that you didn't expect, ask yourself, what does this make possible? What's God going to do through this that I would have never imagined otherwise? Number three, Discipline produces internal change. Parents, chant, yourself, chant, chant this to yourself over and over again. Your job as a parent is not behavior control. Your job as a parent is not behavior control. We want to point our kids to Jesus so that their lives will be changed from the inside out. Now, when they're a little bitty, there's times for behavior control, absolutely, because you're trying to keep them on the right, the right track. But what we want to see is discipline produces internal change. Love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot, okay, with your pen. Circle the one that you are celebrating from this last year. Like, man, God, you did that work in my life this last year. Like, I want to circle that word. Like, that one, the Holy Spirit did a good work in my life this last year. I'm celebrating that. And then maybe underline the one that you're like, yeah, that was not there. <laughs> that part of the fruit of the Spirit just was not there this last year. And, and I need God to do a new work in my life in 2024. So circle the one you're celebrating. Underline the one that you say, God, I need you to do that in my life this next year. Number four, discipline strengthens us for work and endurance. Over the past year, how did you go stronger personally? spiritually what did God do to strengthen you and then the really fun question what might God be preparing you for this next year what is God doing in your life right now that he might be preparing you for this next year some of you the answer is really pretty simple like I'm going to graduate this next year <laughs> and God's preparing me for that or I'm going to retire this next year or we're about to become parents this next year. Like there's all these things that we look forward to. This next year, for my family, if you wrap around to the new school year that will start in August of 2024, it's going to be our one year as a family that all three of our kids are in the youth group. We're going to have a senior, a sophomore, and a seventh grader. So next school year, if you're looking for me, I will be in the back of Building C <laughs> back there. Which also means we're going to have a senior in high school, 
we're going to have a second kid driving, and we're going to have another teenager in our life. God, what are you preparing me for? <laughs> like, what, you know, what, what's going on here as we think about the, about the coming year? Friends, God is at work in your life right now, preparing you for the race that he has before you, preparing you for what's coming in the future, and we need to be prepared. Now, there's a lot to think about this morning, and I didn't want to get to the end and you to go home feeling like, man, I should be a better person next year. And so I want to end with two promises. At the bottom of your notes, these are the promises to hold on to. If you're going to go into next year, go into next year with these promises. Number one, there is hope. Romans chapter 5. We rejoice in our sufferings. It's up on the screen if you need it. We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love, the love of the Heavenly Father, has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There is hope for next year because of God's love for you. That's the reason we have hope. That's the reason he disciplines us. And number two, no matter what comes next year, God is faithful. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. God loves you. He is at work in your life no matter what you face and he is completely faithful. He will carry you forward as you turn your life to Jesus. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come to the end of this year. We look back, and <laughs> there are people here this morning who feel weary and faint-hearted. Uh, they feel physically tired just because of how hard life has been, and they feel discouraged. And I pray that the Bible this morning would have been so encouraging to us. God, you speak to our hearts through Scripture and you remind us that we do face times of discipline. We face opposition, and we face temptations, and we just face some really, really hard experiences in this world. But you are at work. You are good and loving and faithful. And God, I pray that you would prepare us for the year ahead. God, I pray that if there's anybody here this morning that just needs to go back and reflect what do they need to leave behind this year to, to move forward? Help them to do that. That they would work through grief and loss and preparation for this next year. And God, I pray if there's anybody here this morning that they're unsure about their relationship with you. When they think about you, they think more about karma or they think more about a God who's out to get them or they think of themselves as slaves and servants. God, they don't think of themselves as children. I pray, God, that this morning that they would reach out and ask questions about what it means to be saved, what it means to be adopted into the family of God. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness. We trust in that together this morning, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.